The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. So I believe that there have been two people (laughs) who have been repeat. Four or five people have have, uh, come through the studio for a second time. Like Dan Soder got to come back because... There was a big Jay Ogerson controversy <laughs> yeah. that just couldn't be settled yes. without highly dramatic without Dan in the room. Yes, yes. And Levine came in when we had uh, Malin Ackerman on, but and Goldman came for five minutes once before a, a podcast because he had a special that he was promoting. But but essentially, Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, and now today's guest, wow, who is coming back for the second time on the moment, the great comedian, filmmaker. Dad, one man show creator and star, and uh, my friend Mike Berbiglia. That, that, that's how you pronounce it, right? Berbiglia. It yes, is Berbiglia. Yes. Filmmaker, right? That's the new one. Phil, I didn't. I left out filmmaker. I said. I said that second. I thought. Oh, okay. I did. Jay, I said I, it second. I'm claiming it hard this time. You're so insecure about it I'm that so, you couldn't let yourself hear no, it. Because I think after I made my first feature, Sleepwalk with Me, I was like. People would come up to me and they would go, you think you'll make another one? Like, are you kidding me? Of course I'll make another one. <laughs> like, like I just felt like I had come so far to make that. And I was like, certainly yeah. I'm going to do this again, right? Wait, you you knew? Yeah, I knew. I knew the moment that we wrapped. You, you see, I had this different, for me, I had a different whole thing when we made our first movie. Yeah. Now, we were writers, not directors. Yeah. But I, until we had made a second one, I had this fear because I, uh, and now here's the problem. Berbiglia listens closely to yes, the podcast. I do. I do. I have, I brought my, a list of my favorite episodes today to recommend to the listeners or, who or, haven't listened to the, everyone. We're going to get into that, <laughs> but that's great. But, um, so you might've heard this on the show. Plus we spent time together and talk a decent amount on the phone. But, um, when I made the first, when Dave and I wrote Rounders, until we had a second movie, I, I kept saying, it's just like a dot. And a dot on a graph is meaningless. Yes, that's so true. And I needed the second move. So once we had written a yeah. second movie, yeah. now there's a line. Yeah, I now know. Now there's a direction. Now I there's know. something happening. And it freaked me out. I was looking the other day, like, um, 98 was the first movie, and the second movie didn't come out until 2001. Then we got to make a movie about every year and a half or two that's years. That's a nice, that's a solid, that's a nice thin gap, though. The first to second felt long. Three, three it years? It felt yeah. long when you're in it. Yeah. How long ago was Sleepwalk with four, me? Exactly four years. You're a slacker. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, that's, that's the how I problem. feel. That's the problem there. What were you doing? Just I, I know. having kids. So Going to Six Flags. Every day? Yeah, Six Flags every you day. You kept going. Yeah, I have a, amazing. Did you have a favorite ride? <laughs> that, this is where the bit ends because I've never been to Six Flags. <laughs> wait, wait, what about all the improv training? I you just said this is where the bit this ends. This is where the bit ends because because I don't have I don't know a thing about Six Flags. Uh, all I would say is the roller coaster because it's in the ad. Oh, that's fine. You can yeah. shed the roller yeah, coaster yeah. from the ad. Yeah, yeah. So I had a bunch of things. That the reason I'm glad for you to come back. It's a few things. One. It's fun that you and I have gotten to know each other so much better since we did I know. the podcast. Yeah. And I'm so proud of you uh, because you made this movie. Oh, and thanks. the movie's so good. And the sc- I watched you work so <laughs> yeah, hard. Yeah, it worked on really hard. Script. And you were a lifeline for me. I called you and Craig Mazin probably the most for clutch decision making notes. 
And I lo- and by the way, I listen religiously to the podcast. I always say this to my wife. My wife listens a lot too. My wife Jen. It's her favorite podcast because you have made a lot of things, and so your points of reference you, run run deep. You, you, the de- there's a lot of depth there, and so when you're asking Scott Frank questions about screenwriting, it's not from someone who hasn't written ten scripts. It's a good point. I, I and I think about this in a, often, not as it pertains to me. It's funny to hear you say it back to me because, like, of course, that is true. Like, Dave and I have made a bunch of, you know, yeah. we've been involved in, like, made in some capacity 13 movies, sure. I think, and television show, you know, on top of it. I always think you, you do want to listen to someone, you know, as, as you know, like, I started thinking about the podcast and the Vines because I, I couldn't stand with people who hold themselves out as experts. Yeah. Because what the people who do a lot of this know is none of us are experts. Yeah. I mean, when you say you'd call me or Craig, we're still feeling around in the dark too. Yeah. I mean, Mason's super smart. Maybe he's not just like sort of, but we're guessing, right? Yeah, no, you're guessing. We're sure. just engaging sort of like um, with the best of ourselves, yes. reading, responding. Yes. But all we can do is go like, I think, this is what I feel. No, I know. Hey, like I remember, you know, there's that one moment in the, in the, in the, in the script that I, I loved so much and I kept saying like, well... You know, I love this. Like, how do you get to How it? do you arrive to it? How do you arrive to it? Certain yeah. things become clear. And then you're just trying to throw the, when you're working with someone like you, and this is what's so interesting to me is like, can you just talk a little bit, we talked a tiny bit about the first podcast, but it was more theoretical then because you were at the beginning of the process. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you workshop your, your screenplay? And it's, you do it the way to me that people traditionally have done musicals on Broadway, oh, that's which funny. is like. They continually workshop and grow. Can you just talk about how you think about it? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ira Glass, who's my producer, who ended up being my producer from the course of those readings, which is ridiculous, always wants me to talk about this because he's like, it's basically your stand-up development with a screenplay. And by the way, anybody can do it. If anyone's listening to this and they're a writer, just get your friends to read your screenplay aloud and entice them with pizza. I would invite a bunch of writers and actors over to the house. And, and you, they can be amateurs too. And I would say, come on over. We're going to have great pizza. And I would really focus on like, I would get Lucali or I would get Luzzo or I would get Enoteca. No, the pizza was tight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I would say at the beginning of every reading, the script might be bad. And we're going to read it. But at the end, we're going to eat pizza and it's going to be great. And I encourage people, I hope that people rip off that model because what we ha- what happens is you read your screenplay aloud or pe- you have people read it. And the stuff that cr- the stuff that the cracks in the script become very apparent. Yeah. And so and you would I remember doing one of you came to a few of them. And I remember a distinct feeling. It was that you came to one of the first ones, and you and Michael Weber, who's a friend of ours and a great screenwriter, rushed up to me afterwards. And you go, "The problem is, this happens at thirty, and you know, or this, you know, this happens at sixty, and it should have happened at thirty because we already knew it was going to happen." And you almost like bum rushed me, like attacked me with this note. And it's the healthiest thing that could have possibly happened because you guys were absolutely right. When you, so I think I went to, I read the script a bunch of times. Yes. And I think I was at three of those things. Maybe. Mm-hmm. And in one of them. And you wrote a nice, if people are listening to this, 
and haven't read it before, you wrote a nice blog post about it. I did. Yeah. Um, I lo- well, I really felt it was a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I wrote about this hot day that I had to go up there, and um, <laughs> it was miserable because, like, down, like the the ride was awful. It was yeah. like a hot August day, and I had to didn't take the subway. Go. And I live in the Upper West Side, yeah. and you're in Brooklyn. It was just the yeah. worst. Yeah. But like when a friend asks you to go to a reading, like you go um, to the reading, a fellow artist, you know, you go. But I remember one of the periods, the thing took like, um, in many ways, like a step backwards at oh, one point. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and yet you had to put it in front of, like, you put it in front of people because you had taken a series of notes. Yeah. And then the thing got a little bit worse. Yeah, it happens. I know I would be in a free, and I'm, you know, the version of me that's on the podcast is a version of the best of myself. It's yeah, sort of me. You're calm, confident. You're calm. I'm here yeah. after having after learned the, fact, the lessons. Yeah, yeah, of right? course. But in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're stressed out. You're, you fear that you have nothing. I would have, I mean, I know I would walk away from that ripping my hair. So what does and that I w- and feel I would. like I for would. you? It would feel, it would feel very, I mean, really terrible. I remember the first couple readings, Ira Glass who had produced Sleepwalk with me came to the readings and just was like, like Mike, it, it's just it, 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 it's not, it's not a movie. It's just not. A, it, it's I'm sorry. It's just not a movie. It's just not worthy of you. And I was like, Ira, it is a movie. Like it's you know it's 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 the big chill set in the world. And then, by the way, the, the listeners, this is the movie I just made called Don't Think Twice, and uh, it's about an improv group. And it's where a few of them get the chance to audition for a major t- sketch comedy TV show, and the rest of them don't. And it's about sort of life decisions in that period in your thirties when some people make it, some people don't. And Ira was like, "This isn't this isn't a movie. It's not a movie." And I was like, "Ira, it's the big chill set in the world of improv." And he's like, "Well, if, if that's what it is, then the characters have to be more different from each other." And I was like, "Okay, you're you're right, you're right." And so one of the goals I, I had taking away, you know, I took away from that was I need to make the characters very distinct from one another and their journeys distinct from one another, which is hard to do because in the world of improv, it's all about agreement and that the characters are always on stage, at least agreeing with each other and yeah. con- and drama is based on conflict. Well, I remember this one time what happened was the characters, it was in, in along the, the, the route of this. And I think it's really interesting because watching you work this diligently was inspiring to me because you after like the what I would say was like the bad reading, right? The first reading was great because it was like, oh look at this, oh look at this. There's a script and <laughs> there's a thing. There it didn't and exist there's a lot before. of laughs and there's like yeah. things. And then people, one of the big notes was like, well, these two main characters is not clear why they're together. And this one guy, you were trying to calibrate like the level of um, acceptable craven ambition on this one character mm-hmm. a lot. That's right. Yeah, you were trying to toggle that switch as yes. a writer. And so this one screening, you'd gotten way too far in the direction of making everybody a great guy. That's Suddenly right. everybody was just like, awesome. Yes. Because we had all given a note, a group room had sort of given a note about the nature of these people. Yeah. And then your this reaction was like, oh, well, I can make them not, I'm nice. I can make them nicer. Yes. So you've gotten all this feedback. Yeah. How do you then take private counsel? Like, what's your process to take private counsel and figure out what you actually have to do. Well, a lot of it would be, I would call like you or I would, I would call Craig or I'd talk to my wife or I'd talk to Ira or talk to my brother, Joe and, and just talk through, or, or Seth Barish, who's, who's a, who I've worked with for many years. And I always talk about like, you know, Seth, Seth Barish actually directed my one person shows. And he always says, 
what do you get from the script? Which is actually a good question to ask. Not like, what do you like? What do you hate? But it's like, what do you get from it? What's this story about when you read it? And if you repeat back to me something close to what I was thinking, then I know I'm on the right track. And if you repeat something back that's nothing like it, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm way off. And you have enough of those conversations. Yeah. That it gives you a sense of like what the North Star for that particular script is. Yeah. And actually, I, and, 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 and by the way, I've been, tra- I'm traveling with the movie right now. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm the, there's an improv coach who taught us improv on the set. Her name's Liz Allen. She's brilliant. She wrote a book called Improvising Better. And she, she's touring the country with me and she's doing improv workshops, free improv workshops at you know, Improv Olympic and, and UCB and, and, uh, I mean, in the yeah. show notes, Jace, maybe you can put some of his, the dates that are coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, my... um, and one of the things that I always say to the improv, because I'd speak to the improv groups for about 20 minutes or so before she teaches them, I always say this thing that someone says in, in the, this, this book called Something Wonderful right away, which is the, what's powerful about improv is that, you have the ability on any given day to create on stage the best written, best performed, best, most timely play in the world, wherever you are, Phoenix, San Francisco, Seattle, you know, Austin. And I mean, it's pretty wild when you think about that and the potential of that. And part, and, and so when I talk about like these readings and stuff like that, one of the things I always try to emphasize to people is like, if you're a solo writer working somewhere, if you're working in Peoria, like develop, try to develop a community. And by community, I mean just people who have a similar taste in things. You and I like like similar things. We could talk about movies for hours. Yeah. You know, I mean, Mason likes similar things. Obviously, my wife and I have that and my brother and I have that. So we have points of reference. Yes. When I say to Ira Glass, it's like the big chill set in the world of improv. He goes, oh, okay, I get it. I get at least what you're trying to do. I think the thing that's hard sometimes is you get in the wilderness. If you don't have any peers at all, if you don't have anyone to bounce it off of, I would be lost. I mean, the internet is helpful in that. Yes, Twitter and Facebook, I, you know, it may be easier for people who have some profile because if I want to workshop a thought, an idea, get someone's head off it, I have people who are... um, they're engaging with me because of the other work yeah, of course. that I've done. But even if you are just starting to build that, you you can. We both follow people on Twitter who aren't otherwise well-known yeah. and who through Twitter social stars. media became yeah. able to you know distinguish themselves for their sense of humor or yeah. the way that they look at things. So you can, you can build a like community, I think, on social media, too, yeah. in a way. Tim Ferriss, who's one of my favorite guests on your show, always talks about the democratization of media right now. Is that you can He says build. a lot of stuff. He I says barely, a lot of stuff. I don't even, I mean, sure, I don't know. Yeah. No, I love Tim, obviously. He's a two-time, <laughs> yeah. he's a two-time yes, too. But um, yes, no, it, it's true. But I, I was going to go back to one thing. When we all leave your house. Yeah, and I, and I just got and pounded. And, and your wife goes to be with the baby. <laughs> And the pizza's like gone and you've yeah, eaten two soggy. too many slices yeah, yeah, yeah. and one yeah. too many glasses of red yeah. wine or whatever. Right? No, so you're sitting there. We've left. You have a stack of I'm notes. pounding. It's a good point, though. I'm what? pounding wine at those things. Only after. It's, but really, it's to, it's to take in the notes. Because you're anesthetic. Your manner, which is to not get baited in the notes. That it's very, like, the notes process with 
producers or buyers when it's not an indie or like um, I'm in a great situation, as I often say, because Showtime likes our show. Yeah. And they see the show the way we do. So the notes are fun. The actual notes calls, we all are making the same show. Yeah. But why notes become filled with pressure sometimes is because somebody has power. And yes. your fear is when they give you the note. Like, no, 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 I have no, to. No. no, please. I'm not going to change gonna my, change it from yeah, the even what you, it was. So yeah. you don't have that don't have at that. these because these are your friends and it's your decision. And the, and the movie's not financed. On the other hand, you only invite these people that you respect. Yeah. You're inviting filmmakers you like. You know, yeah. the, one of the people screen, one of the times I was there, Nicole Hoff Center was there. Yeah. Every time somebody really interesting, the Lord smart. One. Yeah, it's always people who are better than me. <laughs> well, I try to do that all the time. <laughs> I put that. But so you, then you're sitting there. What does that actually feel like? Is it the same as when a, jo- a night of comedy doesn't go as well as you'd it, hope? It's similar. I feel like I'm lucky because I'm a stand-up and I've been desensitized to failure. That's huge. I, I, I think that, Talk about that. Yeah. I think that failure is this crucial ingredient to creation of any kind that we gloss over culturally. And I do it too, by the way. Like I, I always I, I write in my journal like the kinds of things that you're saying. Like I'll write in my journal, like I just got pounded by Koppelman and Weber at my at right. my reading. They said it wasn't this happens too fast and this happens too fast and this makes no sense. This character doesn't belong in the movie. There's too many characters, blah, 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 whatever. I write it all in my journal. And one of the things, one of the things that I wrote in my journal, oh, was I can't watch Louie anymore. The this the TV show. No, why? Because it's too I, when I was writing this script, I every once in a while I'd flip on Louie like on Netflix, because it's so well done. And because he's from a similar background, he's from a comedian background, because it's a verite shooting style, it has some similarities. And it's done. It's written, it's shot, it's beautifully acted, it's sound mixed, it's color corrected. It's basically like watching someone running their 26th mile of a marathon when you're running mile number two. And you can't help but compare your stupid two miles to their 26 miles. And it, dri- and it drives me crazy. I, had to, I have to stop watching certain things. Finished work is a yeah. killer. When oh. you're, you're so, that two mile, 26 mile thing is great. Oh, it's because the worst. It is a killer. I torture my, like I, we were making billions in the beginning. I mean, I, Mad Men is my favorite show of all time. And I would watch Mad Men and The Sopranos. And, and It'll wreck you. It can really wreck you. are just yeah. like, oh, well, those are super geniuses. Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. How am I going to, how am I going to make my little yeah. story uh, work? But, and of course, you're also looking at the body of seven years of work. Yes. When I, watched, when I watched your, bill, you showed me a rough cut of billions. Yeah. And what I did in my head, and it was really strong, and I said that when I saw it, apparently I think you did another editor, another month or so of editing, but it it came a long way. But in my mind, I just kind of plus two'd it in my head. Yes. You know, with sound and color. I was just like, like where it was, was like a seven and a half. I was like, it'll be a nine and a half. And it was. I saw the final cut. I was like, oh, it's amazing. Well, it was, yeah, you, I, that, I was going to say, you know, we, I, I, it was great when you came and I did the same thing, right? I had you and Tom McCarthy there yeah. to watch th- this early cut of the pilot. I, the feedback was great, super helpful. But there's a, a step. We had already shot the thing. <laughs> right, right, right. I, so whatever, insecure, and I'm very used to, I would say in the same way, you're used to the 
failure in stand-up, failure turning it into success, yeah. recognizing the good. I'm very used to the process of showing a rough cut, knowing that I'll be able to, Dave and I will find a way with our talented editors sure. to solve the problems. Sometimes just putting it in front of people before you even speak, we know what the problems are. Yeah, I know. Are. Yeah, that's a good point. The cut you saw. That's why I say about the readings. Hearing it out loud, I can figure out a lot. So you wrote in your journal, but I guess the one thing you haven't really answered, and I think it's useful just for people, because we're also scared of this kind of feedback. How long does it take you to get yourself from the shock of the oh. night to taking to being productive? Uh, a few days. It yeah, does. It hurts. That it does. So you have a few days of just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Yes, you I'm, too I'm have terrible. the hopeless feeling. It's terrible. It won't work. You do. Yes, I and do. you allow yourself forty eight hours of that. Yeah, I mean, at least, yeah, at least, sure. I mean, in some ways, it's paralyzing. In some ways, you can't do the writing. Yeah. Even if you schedule yourself to do the writing, you just can't do it. It's so awful. Well, because it's it it dissects what you created. And in order to create it, you had to envision it. It was in your head. It was a whole realized piece. And then people go, oh, no, it's not that. It's this other thing that resembles shit. Yes. No, I, I mean, in your thing... <laughs> There was always something each time. There was always, even when it went backwards, there were these great moments. I mean, yeah. that's what kept all of us alive. For, that's why I think all of us were like, no, no, there's a movie here. Yeah, even yeah. if Ira's way of telling you it was by saying, there's not a movie here. Yeah. I'm talking like you now. That's the way you would have said that. <laughs> there's not, not a movie, movie I, It's here. not a movie, Mike. It's not a movie. Yeah. Sorry. But um, what it, keeps you in it? There was something that that like... Each time I was like, oh, no, no, he's going to get this. Yeah. But it was weird. Like, I know saying that to you, I could feel it. And then I know if I were on the other side of it, I would have this kind of hopeless feeling. Like, because you do put your, you put so much of yourself, this whole idea of dealing with rejection or dealing with having an artistic ambition and falling short of it or having to find a way to get even further I guess it just takes conditioning and somehow tricking yourself again. Because then you have to hypnotize yourself yeah. again into thinking it's really good, right? If I could just convince myself to do all this with sit-ups. <laughs> Dude, the bull. <laughs> I mean, do you know what kind of shape I'd be in if I could do this with sit-ups? If I could convince myself that it doesn't hurt my abs to do sit-ups? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, would just have, like, amazing abs. You gotta, People, you got to Google image me right now. Because I do not have And then when you do abs. that, plus to it, and you'll get to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> plus two in the, in the wrong direction. Plus to plus it. Plus to it. And you'll understand what I look like, which uh, neither of us have done. I mean, I'm going to say, it's fair to say, neither of us have done enough sit-ups this year no. so far. Oh, my God. I, don't, I, I can't even think So, about all right. You, you've also become a dad in the yeah. last. How old is? 13 months. So, how has my daughter Uma. how has fatherhood like changed what is most important to you or how is it i mean no she is but how has it shifted your priorities around if it has i think at first when jen was pregnant all of a sudden i thought like i have to f make more money and i have to stay here in new york because i make my living touring as a comedian I don't really make money making movies. There's no money in independent film. Um, and so I was just like, I got to stay here and I got to figure out how to make money to be a provider for my daughter. And then I think, I think, and then I think what happens is 
you know, you get a fuller understanding of the human experience. You start to under, you start to remember things about your childhood. I think that's a really key thing. You start to go, oh yeah, I guess that's what happens when you see the ocean for the first time. <laughs> you're afraid of it. Just like simple things. You're like, oh yeah, like waves are scary. And like, there's a lot of stuff like that where, where, you know, you see it, there is something very moving about a year old, uh, a one year old, your one year old daughter just like walking around and figuring out what's indoors and what's outdoors. And you, you like made a choice to kind of notice all this stuff or you just notice it. No, it's I just think how you, you go through life. I didn't choose. No, I didn't choose. It's just sort of how, yeah, you just notice. You just notice all those. Yeah. The ocean thing is great. That's really. <laughs> Yeah, right. Figuring out, like, re-remembering and sort of reshaping your own memories yeah. through this new prism. Yeah, I never understood that before. You you know, we would go to the birthing classes and stuff, and they'd be like, what, what are you most excited about, about having a baby? And people would be like, I'm just excited about seeing the world through my baby's eyes. And I'd be like, what a loser. Yeah. And then here, here I am on your podcast in the same stupid thing. Yeah, because it, you, until it, un, until it happens, it's then you one go, of those oh, things. Yeah. I mean, it's like trying your first fribble. Yeah. Until you've had a fribble. Yeah, you don't know what it's you like. You don't know what it's going to take. That was from Friendlies, which was only in <laughs> New York, I think. No, Massachusetts, we had it too. You had Friendlies there I too? Was, when it's I was a, a kid, joke I for thought, a small group of people. I was convinced that Friendlies was just was a local restaurant until I left Massachusetts. Yeah. I was like, Friendly's. They didn't. I was like, the low, it must be Mr. Friendly who owns it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> there was one really near my house and it was, it was, uh, if you could go there, cause it wasn't that healthy. Like it was good. If you could trick. Yeah, I your, get that. If you could get to, to Yeah, go my sister there. Gina waited tables at Friendly's. She used to ride her 10 speed bike there. Fribbles day. for everybody. Though. Yeah. She used to go to White City and get fribbles for everybody. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no. So you, has it though changed your, your work at all? Do you think, or the way you think about what you do? So. I mean, I, th I, I mean, you mentioned so, it on stage just, in your new yeah, one. Man I mean, show. It's, it's so hard to say, I and mean, it, it it certainly changes the way that you structure your day um, in terms of the hours that you have. I mean, one thing is like it you know limits your hours because you have less hours, and I mean, one thing that I I did when I wrote this movie, which is a first time that I'd ever done this was I set myself on a regimen of three hours of writing per day, five days a week. And it would be 7am to 10am in a cafe. And if it was going well, I could go till noon. Right. And, but no, no more than five hours. When you'd say of writing. Yeah. Are you really writing the whole time? Or are no you internet. thinking? It's no internet. Yeah. Is the, my self rule. That's a fantastic, that's a, a gigantically yeah. no email, thing. No email, no internet, me and the page. That's it. And you're thinking and writing. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, mean, I will writing, sometimes give myself. pages or I'm writing notes in the script. I will give myself, um, I will allow myself to have internet, but I will use Twitter as a reward system. Oh, wow. So if I finish the scene, like if I'm writing a scene, yeah. I'm disciplined enough not to go check. I won't go, but I will tell myself, like, I'm writing the scene, and when I'm done writing the scene, because like, I need to take a walk or do something sometimes. So the yeah. other thing I can do is, like, if I finish, okay, I got to the end of that thing, I'll quickly just, like, sometimes I'll just be, like, writing, and then I'll tweet something, and I'll go back to uh, to writing, 
but I've finished something before I, ch- I will make myself finish a, something. Before that's a good check. system. I mean, I, I like to think of it in terms of, I get up early in the morning yeah, me too. so that I, I don't have time to think Yes, because my inhibitions would block me from writing the things that I write on the page. That's super important. And I always think of like, I think of acting and writing in a similar way. Both of them, I like to think that when you're your best, you're almost in a trance. Yes. It's like you're not thinking at yes. all. And you're just sort of gushing out what ha- what's in your mind and, and what the story is. And then later you go back and you, you fix the punctuation and you fix the, the logic of it the timing of it, that it would be another day would have to elapse yeah. for it. All that Which stuff. None of that matters. None of it matters. At all. Anyone that that's, a, you know, anybody can do that. Yeah. What nobody can do is, I mean, it's Ralph Emerson, but like what nobody can do is the, is the thing that's in you that you have to be brave enough to allow to come out. You just have to pour. Yeah. Just pour it out. And so you set your day up knowing I can do that. You know, I'm like early mornings for me, that yeah. works well too. The yeah. first thing in the day. You know what I do? I had because I I put off writing that script for so long, for like six months. I had the script in my brain, but I was like, I have to write it. I have to sit down and write it. So my wife makes fun of me for all the time about this. But I I wrote. I realized this thing about myself, which is I was always showing up to meetings to, with other people. I'd show up for lunch with Brian Kaufman. I'd show up on for, time for, yeah, on time. Cause I'm an on time person. I'd show up for, you know, lunch with my agent or lunch with my friend. Um, but I wasn't showing up to my own writing sessions. And so I would write a note next to my bed and it said, Mike exclamation point, wake up. You have a meeting with your mind. <laughs> I mean, listen, we have and, to and trick it's ourselves. So stupid. And my my wife makes fun of me because it's the it's it's such a laughable thing to write a letter to yourself. You have a meeting with your mind, but it worked. I actually would get up because okay, I have a meeting. Because you're setting in motion, you're taking some kind of an actual step, even though it's a small, meager, ridiculous step to write <laughs> that kind of note to yourself. But it's all part of it. When I say self-hypnosis. I'm using that term advisedly. Like I, I think that's what my ritual is, right? The morning pages that I do, which is similar to your journaling, yeah. And the meditation, it is a way of just sort of tipping yourself in the right direction, yeah. Of just beginning this walk, yeah. Um, toward producing the work, and I, I also find that once I've done it, in the once I've done that, then sometimes at five in the afternoon. I can solve a whole bunch of problems on the page too, because I've already done, I've sort of done the work I had to do. Like I've beaten the demon for that day. You know, Steve Pressfield talks talks about in the war of art about this, this resistance, which is the thing that stops some of us sometimes from producing work. So whatever you have to do to trick yourself, but how do you balance those? But 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 I, I would make one caveat to that, which is, is that why we don't have great abs? Like, are the people with great abs taking that energy? They do the that. Morning, they do it for abs, right? But they, well, then they the do problem three is, hours of here's like, the problem. And David Benioff and I talk about this sometimes. The problem is, what do you do? And Giamatti and I talk about this. What do you do with David Levine then? Yeah. Who's got both? Yeah, I know. 
my, the guy I make I don't like those billions people. with, I don't the like show billions people. with. I know. He I just, writes I just does saw him. nothing but write books I, and movies and I, TV shows. I know. I almost had to call him out on it and because he's, in, he's too he's too chiseled. The whole thing, man. And he's my lifelong best friend. It makes me a little uncomfortable. I almost brought it up. And he's like, I'm up at five to write, so he's up at five. Jim, jujitsu, Jim, and then writing just page after page after page. And it something makes me wrong feel, with that guy. Jimani and I will sometimes look at each other and just feel like utter failures. But what does it mean about him that he can do both of those things? And he's got three kids and he's an active dad. <laughs> I had him on here. I tried to ask these questions. I didn't get very far with it. I didn't get satisfactory answers on that count. But um, who, who is writing these great scripts and has great apps? Yeah, there's a couple people, like only a few of them. And a family. Like, how do you have all three? Yeah. Because this is what I was going to say. When you, you made the joke about the abs, but the question I was about to ask you was, to do this thing, and you did it in a certain way for such a long time, writing your act, performing on the road, yeah, engaging with your ambition, there's a selfishness required. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And how do you balance the selfishness required to do what you do yeah. with now this absolute need to be selfless for your child? How do you think about it? Oh, man, you're asking hard questions. Dude, you wanted to come on the show again. (laughs) You know what the show is. That's such a hard question. Well, it was very hard for me to get married uh, because I think the act of getting married itself is a selfless obligation. You're saying, I'm going to share. I'm going to share with you for the rest of my life. I'm old school. I don't, I always say this to Jen. I'm like, just so you know, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, I'm old school. My parents have been married 60 years. Like, like I'm not, like, we'll figure out whatever happens. So, you know, so it is a selfless thing to get married. Because you go, we're going to just, we're going to figure yes, it out with each other. But then Jen's forever. a writer and you're a writer. Yeah. And so you guys can understand the kinds of accommodations you're going to make. A young baby can't understand. No, you're And I right. know I can, you know... It's obvious to me what a giving, warm person you are. Yeah. So I'm wondering how, did it scare you? Like, how am I going to oh, still do the career? How am I going to be yeah, it's, okay? Nah, and, it's, it scared me a lot. I mean, I had to go through therapy to figure out how to talk, to talk through, like, how, how do I do this? And my therapist basically said, you're a loving person and you have, you can afford to have a baby. And so you'll figure it out. It's a great answer. That's a really good answer. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's how I resolved it in my head. Yeah, yeah. I went to, so the thing that got me started on therapy was being scared to have a baby in the beginning. Oh. I was 29 and I hadn't yet started. You know, I knew I was secretly right, you a writer and I hadn't yeah, written. Yeah, yeah. It was inside you, but you hadn't, I hadn't written. I hadn't done it. And so I remember saying, but then if I, and of course it went the other way. I remember saying, if I, but if we have a baby, then I can't do an enormously irresponsible thing. I can't throw I my know. life away. I know. I can't throw my life away because I'm going to have this thing I love. Yeah. And the the shrink was like, well, it changes you in ways you don't anticipate. And then, of course, what happened was my son was born, and that's the very thing that made that me recognize you. I had to go do it. Yeah. So that I wouldn't, so I could come home and tell and him, also, live your and dreams. And also your wife, Amy. Well, yeah, she was, yes, the whole time she was telling me to do it. Yeah. She, she knew. She, when I listened to the episode with your wife, Amy, which is one of my favorite episodes. All-time classic. Yeah, it's a classic. He got me to pick up the phone and call my therapist and make an appointment. Because she said this thing about depression 
which is, I don't want to misquote her. I always hate that when people fine. do that. But she said, and I'm not necessarily clinically depressed, but she said, it's okay to be depressed. And it's not okay to not get help. The, that w- there's nothing, you didn't do anything wrong by being depressed. What you did wrong was you didn't get help. Yeah, she's amazing, and that she and, and, and I just picked up the phone and called. You did because why you hadn't been seeing? Yeah, uh, you hadn't I'd been slacked going. off. I hadn't gone to th- my therapist in a long time. Well, you could it could have been you could have gone for a run. One of those two. <laughs> if you think about it, that's true. You could have gone for a run. That would have been another that's choice. True. That's true. Yeah, um, your wife is very wise, though. Her episode is really profound. She's and then her her movie. I smile back is oh yeah, that was so beautiful. sweet when you called me after watching the oh, movie. Oh man. Well, like you, you know, I, I got, I made a couple of really strong decisions in my life and that was one of them, um, to find a way to convince her to marry me. And I too, am like you, man, I'm, I mean, it's part of why you and I just, we see a bunch of stuff the same way and I'm, you know, I'm in it for the long, we're in it for the long haul also, but we had kids young, you know, we weren't like, we weren't set. You hadn't been a writer yet? Yeah, we hadn't. I mean, you're a lot younger than I am, but still you're older than I was when I had children. Sure. And so for us, although it was a gigantic adjustment, we were at the beginning of a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I just think it's, you know, it seems like it would be harder to to do it after you're already, already. And because you're not, like a lot of people, and this is the other thing I want to ask you. So like, you're making these films. So as a road comic... And not just a comedian. You do these one-man shows in theaters. You never have to write in. You could make a great living for a very long time without ever changing anything if you wanted to. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Seinfeld, you know, to his credit, one of the greats, toured, I think, the same act for like eight or nine years. And is proud of it. You know, he honed it over years and years and years. Yeah, it's something, yeah, you can do So what is it in you that has this, what's the restlessness to keep to but, keep it going, like what you know, to take yourself and change and make make these movies and try, you know, write a play or do a one minute, like wh- you know, do a residency in New York. Like, what is it that, that in you that needs this kind, these different artistic outlets? I think it's just I want to get better. Once you make a thing, you see the flaws in it. All you can see is the flaws, and then you're like, I could do that better. Sure. But, yeah. but also your movie deals, you know, with these ideas of success and fame and the cost of ambition. And I, and one can see you in various characters in, <laughs> sure. right, in the, the sort of push and pull. Among, right, the ambition uh, of the well, Jack character. Yeah, but also like the thing of, I mean, uh, you know, you're definitely someone about whom people have said, oh, he's too, like, you're too nice sometimes. Like, you've got a lot of that, both sides of that stuff. Sure. Like this, you can almost feel the almost war inside you. You're someone who returns all your emails yourself. But if someone steps wrong in that stuff, you can get, and they're not courteous or right. You can immediately just like have no tolerance yeah, yeah. at all. It's <laughs> funny. But it was, you want everyone to be as like that. But so do you wrestle with these things co- consciously? Like, do you wrestle with this question of why do I have so much fucking ambition? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I. And what answers do you come up with for yourself? I, well, the episode. So your show turned me on to Tim Ferriss. And yeah. Tim Ferriss says some things that really hit me pretty hard which is he has this thing about you know make basically make vacations in your life because 
this whole idea of working 80 hours a week for this kind of mystical retirement at age 65 that God knows what the hell you're going to do because you're going to be a workaholic anyway is bogus and it's, and it's not worth it. And you should be vacationing to kind of understand what that end goal even is and what you're, what you're shooting for. And that really hit me hard. As a matter of fact, my wife and I went on like a five day vacation this month on the beach in California. That's where we took our, when we took our baby to see the ocean for the first time. And it was because of that. And I shut off my computer for five days. I didn't open it once. And it was, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, so I'm always analyzing that. I'm always like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And it's all, you know, it's all this like vast overcome, you know, and so you get, I feel like you get the bug at a certain age to, let's say, to create stuff or, or make art. In my case, it was like, you know, seeing Stephen Wright do stand up when I was 16 and sure. just going like, wow, my God, that's what I got to do. And then you fall in love with the movies of Woody Allen and James L. Brooks and, and, and then, you, you know, and then you know, Bombeck and uh, 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 Nicole Hollis Center. And you see all these things, you know, I want to do these things. Sure. I want to make things like this. And then you start to do it and you go, I suck at this. <laughs> And then you have this crazy war with yourself where you're like, is it because I'm just not talented enough to do this or am I not working hard enough? And so I feel like there's some part of me that's like, okay, but it's both. I'm not talented enough and I'm not working hard enough. Nothing you can do about the first one. Yeah, yeah. You can do a lot about the second one. And you can do a lot about the second one. And then you start working hard and you start to see the – you start work – you know, eight hour, eight hour weeks on this stuff, and then you start to see serious results. It's like I become, a, 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 I was a, a, a club headliner. For, you know, when I was young, when I was twenty five years old, I was headlining comedy clubs. Yeah, I mean, you got on Letterman at what twenty four, right, you know, 24, and so then yeah. I'm like, oh, well, if I work hard, I actually can. And then you set yourself in that groove, things. and then you get yourself in this groove of like, oh, I can achieve the things that I set out to achieve, and then you're like, well, there's no limit. Right. I can get I can get better at this. I can make better things. And so it once you kind of see the once you see the cause and effect of the relationship between the amount of work that you put in and the quality of work that it creates, it becomes a very dangerous kind of paradox, which is what when when's too much. Well, yeah, it's like when you do your show. So you just finished this great run. In New York. I think I've heard jokes, yeah. And the best thing about it is it was so close to Prince Street Pizza that I got to go to <laughs> Prince Street. When I went to your show, I got to also try Prince Street Pizza yeah, for the first time. Sure. So that was great for that reason. Yeah, but also the show was, was good. Great. Yeah. That, that, when the yeah. show was good too. But when you do your show, yeah. And you've brought a lot of joy to these and you a lot of happy faces. Yeah. How long does like the good feeling last? Like, does it last <laughs> as long as the bad feeling when a, a night, a reading doesn't go well. Does the good feeling sustain you? No. <laughs> it really doesn't. It's, uh... <laughs> no, it just absolutely doesn't. No, no, it's, I, yeah, I don't have a great answer for that. I mean, it sustains you in like this very general sense. Like I get that. In the moment, I'm like, this is very special. We're all here in this room. Yes, it's clear. Like, what drives me crazy in the in my live show is 
when people text in the audience, I'll stop the show because I'll walk over and I'll just say, and I don't even have a joke for this. I go, look, I know that you don't think that this is disruptive, but what you're doing is you're ruining the people around you's experience of the darkness. Part of the reason we're here is to be in the darkness together. And that's what I love. I love that we're all there together in the darkness experiencing, I'm telling a series of stories and we're all like laughing together or not laughing together. And yeah, I love it in the moment. And then, and then the moment it ends, it's like, yeah, it's, it goes away. No, yeah. I can see when I'm watching you that you love it when it's right there when it's happening. Yeah. But when you walk into the wings that you, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. And then do you look forward to it the next day or it's not like no yeah i guess so i think so yeah i do in a general sense do you miss it like so the show is like running it's like jogging it's like you 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 know you like it once you start doing it well like i know that there are moments i was just talking to david about this like i know there are moments of writing so like writing the show is really hard billions not this show this show's not written but (laughs) writing the show is really hard but when i know that there's something that really works. Sometimes it can sustain me a little bit for a day or so. Like if I've solved a problem and then had one of those moments of trance-like writing and I can picture Damien or Paul or Maggie or Molly yeah. saying those, like yeah. I can see it. Sometimes it can float me a little bit into the next thing. I, I didn't use, I've trained myself somehow and it might be part of like doing the pages, but I've trained myself to, um, recognize oh that's something happened there yeah it doesn't always happen so when it happens since i really notice when it doesn't happen i really notice when i suck when i have to throw out the pages when i have to start over so i've tried to start for my own mental health i've tried to notice you know when dave and i wrote the last scene of season season one the 12th episode the last scene of the, the 12th episode we were sitting at desks opposite each other in our little office and writing back and forth and each writing moments of it, trading that scene back and forth. And I, I knew we finished it. I was like, Oh, you know, we kind of did it. And it, I made myself acknowledge it, own it for a minute and have gratitude about Yes. All that thing. Yeah. Like, wow, that I get to do this. And I somehow through the hard work tapped into whatever ability Someone else could operate at a much higher level, but for a moment there, I operated at my own yeah, highest own level high, yeah. that I can hit. Sure, sure. But it took a long time to be able to like appreciate That's it. Nice. But I watch what you do, and I think it's like so remarkable. Um, you get this audience of 500 people. How many people are in that theater? 250. 250. Yeah, but six shows a week. Right. Yeah. So you get these people, and they're really having a good time. Yeah. And they're also transported. And they're made, by the end of your show, they're made to remember who they are at their best yeah it's a big part of kind of what you're doing is about being like human yeah uh do you think there'd be some worth in like (laughs) knowing yeah no it's true (laughs) and by the way i'm inspired if i'm sounding like a bummer to people it's i'm inspired by the scott frank episode which i re-listened to on the way because he's so honest on your pod about being acknowledging that he's so lucky he he doesn't deserve what he has and yet he is a little bit miserable all the time and so i i'm kind of balancing that so i don't want to take away from 
if people have seen my show and they're like, but you, there was, you had a great time. I do have a great time. I love being on stage. No, there'd be no faking that. Yeah, it's yeah. clear you have a great time when yeah, you're on there. Yeah, I love there. being on stage. It's fun. It's so fun doing the shows. But, I mean, there's, I met James, L, I was lucky enough to meet James L. Brooks once. And um, I had to tell him how I felt about his work because it's affected me so much. Like, you know, broadcast news in terms of endearment are like, Basically, the re- between those and the Woody, middle Woody Allen films, those are the reasons I even make movies. I, I listen to, I watch those movies like people listen to records. I just watch them over and over again. And I just, you know, I was talking his ear off about stuff and, and, uh, and I told him about making Sleepwalk with me. This is like 2012. And he said, send it to me. And he sent it to me and, and, uh, and I, I sent it to him and, and he watched it and he called me and he was like, you know, you did it. He was like, you did, you made a, you made a great movie. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what the exact words were, but it was very nice. And, and he goes, he goes, it's important that you take this in because we never, as creators of things, we never have our yippee moment. Right. He goes, and you gotta let yourself have a yippee moment where you just go yippee. <laughs> and he's right. So he's right. True. Because you're always working on the next thing. You're my, always thinking about the next thing. My, you're always stressed out about how we're going to distribute it, how we're going to market it. Yeah, my dad has a great whole point of view about this. He calls. You know, my dad's the person who, when I went through this crisis at 30 and wanted to turn my life upside down, the big thing that I thought was going to be so hard was like, how do I tell my dad is this, you know, bootstrapped himself from poverty to success and all this stuff. And I was going to go to him. And you know, I had a good job and everything. And I was going to go to him and say, I'm going to become a writer. And I remember I was so nervous and I went and, and I, and I said, dad, I've, I've decided, you know, um, I'm going to become a writer. And he said, you want to write? Write. Yeah. And, uh, but don't quit. You know, he's like, don't quit your job, but write. And, and, uh, so, so pragmatic about all this shit, but he called one day, Dave and I were, the show had hit, uh, been on like three episodes of billions had been on. And he called in the middle of the day and he said, let me ask you a question. Are you sitting there with your partner, Dave, each miserable in your office with a laptop open, <laughs> trying to edit or think of the next thing? And I said, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. He was like, you're out of your mind. These are the moments. Yeah. You got to show Go out, take your wives. He goes, grab your wives, go to dinner in a public place. Maybe a paper will see it. They'll write about you. Oh, have a good funny. time. Yeah. He was like, go and like live. Yeah. But we're not built for it somehow, Mike. Well, that's what, people, why. People keep asking me what my next project, what I'm doing next, what my next project is. And I actually have said to people, I'm going to spend time with my wife and my daughter. That's my next project. Are you going to? I think so, yeah. When? You, you got know, the next this, two months this, well, on the road. Well, this summer, this we're going. We just went to California on this vacation. We're going to Nantucket Film Festival, which is my favorite film festival. We're going to go for the for, for a week. You know, I only have to go to my thing like one night, and and we're going to go spend some time with my parents in Cape Cod, July fourth week. I, and we're trying to. I'm trying to. You know, take time off. And are you going to take them on the road when you perform? Yep, you're going to all go. Except, yeah, except like Texas and Chicago. There's like a, a tough leg in the middle of July. It's like. Texas, Minneapolis, Chicago, Detroit. I don't want to put them through that. Right. You'll just not be selfish and yeah, exactly. go, just go deal with it. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So explain when and how the movie's out and how people can see it. So the movie comes out in New York City, July 22nd, New York, Chicago, LA, July 29th. And then it's going to be 
like platform release was what they call an indie film where it goes to like 15 cities. And then after that, it goes sort of as wide as it is popular. But I have a couple more questions and we can finish up. Um, So during this process, a couple of times I said like, you know, you're a very good actor. You have a following. Why don't you put yourself dead center of the movie? And you didn't want to give yourself the main role. You have right. a nice role. Yeah. A nice role in the film, but you're not the star of the film. Sure. Yeah. Keegan Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs. No matter how atheist I am, the Jew just comes out sometimes. You have a nice role. Listen, <laughs> it's a nice role. It's not that you're, yeah, it's not, you're not the star, but it's nice. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how much I want to say. I'm not. I can't. But also, when you sent me the promotional materials to look at. Yeah. And I know I wasn't the only one who said it. I was like, yeah. your face is obscure. Your face and is you're too covered. Yeah. the second most famous or most famous person in the movie, depending on like the week. Traditionally, your face would be really More clear. Prominent. Yeah. What, what's that about? <laughs> I don't know. I thought this was the best photo we had. I mean, um, come on. There's, I mean, no, you made a choice. You're the writer, director, and one of the stars of the movie, but you made your face unclear. I, I, I know you said that, and I, I took it to heart, but it's just like, it's the it's the best photo we had, and you're right. Maybe it's Freudian, maybe subconsciously. I like the fact that my Keegan's pushing my face out of the frame. Yeah, he is basically <laughs> He's taking literally you out pushing of me out of the frame. He's the person and who's maybe more famous no, right, than right, right, you. Right, right, but but uh, yeah, no, I I don't know. I mean, and, and it's funny because at those readings, Yorma Takone, who's my neighbor and a great film director, he directed co-directed pop star which came out this summer super funny movie and uh he, and made all the incredible films oh all the shorts for lonely Sam, island yeah. unbelievable Andy sandberg and snl and he on numerous occasions of the readings afterwards said well you got to play jack jack which is what keegan ended up playing and it's the lead part it's it's the meaty part you wrote the movie where you can have the part that people are going to fall in love with and love and hate and all all the emotions and i i was like i'm not talented enough for that part i just i know my limitations i know that i'm not believable as that person well this is definitely sets up a part 3 <laughs> uh, for the two of us cuz that either we could do an hour on why you think that um but the movie's wonderful, and Keegan does a great job, and Gillian Jacobs, who I love. Oh, isn't she something? She did a teeny tiny part in a movie of mine called Solitary Man, yeah. and she, it's a teeny tiny part, and she just brought so much to it. She's got so and much soul. She Every, really Everything is, that she does has so much heart and soul. Yeah, this one little scene has Gillian and Imogen Poots uh, and Olivia Thurlby in it, in this movie, and it's like just these amazing actresses in this. I remember looking at Dave. That was one of the most Dave and I looked at you like, okay, we're doing something right because we have these great yeah. um, these great people here. Before we finish, what are the episodes of the podcast that people should oh, yeah. should listen to? Mike Berbeglia. Here's right here. Well, the one I referenced was Scott Frank. Yeah, great, um, great screenwriter and filmmaker. The one with your wife, Amy. Amy Koppelman, also a great writer. The one that I referenced with Tim Ferriss. I did two with Tim. Do you remember which two one? Two with Tim. It was, I went, I listened to was it the both. one where he was I listened, sit, uh, I listened to both, but I think the first one I went back to to understand what his whole deal was. Sure. Basically. Yeah. The second one was more about him dealing with uh, Lyme disease. And then Donnie Deutsch, which is, is a kind of a random one, but, uh, cause what the hell do I have in common with Donnie Deutsch? But Donnie's a compelling guy. What I liked about the Donnie Deutsch episode is that he says the person who, like the, the lower 10%, 
of your company or whoever you're working with, you just shouldn't, you spend up spending 90% of your time thinking about the worst 10% of people you work with. And it's a total waste of time. You should just cut ties with those people and move on. I think that's really smart. Have you done it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I have. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I Am don't I going to see you with a full Deutsch tan the next time? Yeah, right. Oh, God. The other, but the other lunatic. He's another guy the other super lunatic, successful with the good abs, by the way. But the lunatic thing he says on the podcast is, I think that he thinks Trump will win or something. Like, he, uh, he has a very nobody, kind of pro-Trump thing that is disconcerting. He certainly had an opinion about it. Donnie's incredibly uh, impressive in his ability to cut through the noise and get his <laughs> opinion out there in a very undistilled, yes. a very, you know, he, a very um, distilled manner cuts through. And I really enjoyed talking to him. I wasn't sure what I was going to make of it. Yeah. But we talk about ambition. The fact that he's just so out there about it is a lesson to all of us, like who are at times timid or conflicted about what our ambitions ought to be. Yeah. There's an example of someone who has none of that. Nope. And just just like, no, no, no. I'm moving forward because why not? We could all use a small little bit of Deutsch in us. I, I agree. A, a, an appropriately sized amount. I, I, I absolutely agree. But I love the podcast and I appreciate that you do it. Hey, man. Because you, you sure don't have to do it. No. Well, you know, I only do it. I mean, a rule I have. I only do it when there's someone I really want to talk to. And I... Um, I jokingly said a part three, but as you know, you have an open invitation. I'm happy to have you here anytime. And then the only thing I'm going to ask you with is, since you love the podcast so much, you have to deliver Ira Glass to me at some point for the I podcast. That's I've it. asked Ira a lot of favors, and this will be my the final favor. The final favor. <laughs> All right, Michael Bailey, everybody, go see the movie. Um, Don't are, think twice. Are you putting the one-man show up in a way? Did you film it? Thank God for jokes I'm filming uh, for Netflix. This is so, the first time I've said that aloud. And it's, uh, yeah, it's going to Watch for Thank God out. with yeah, Jokes. Thank, thank God for Jokes really, next year. I got to say, these are two pieces of work. You are looking at uh, listening to an artist really in full flight right now. Um, these are works of Michael Biglia's that you need to experience. So go see him if he's doing the show near you. Go to the movie. And um, I'm sure you're going to see him out promoting and with, with good reason. Birbiglia, thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks, Ryan. This is right, fun. Dude. Talk to you soon.